Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, I'm your host, Blaine Putney, and I am going solo on this episode. Uh, Treg Wilson is in the Dominican Republic enjoying a holiday, and Matt Smith is in transit between Moncton and Trenton in preparation for returning to work tomorrow. Uh, as I record, it's Sunday, the 8th of December, or 8th of January, my apologies, 2023. It's uh, the start of a year is always uh, you forget a lot of things, especially at my age and myself. I'm going to be starting work uh, my regular job tomorrow after spending three weeks covering the world juniors here in Halifax. Now, what I am going to talk about today. Well, the Canadians, clearly uh, their development and the system. I'm going to bring up a couple of examples And uh, a little bit about the trade rumors, but to begin, uh, if you're looking for new custom-made hockey equipment made specifically for you and affordable, look no further than No Name Hockey. Use code HABS10, get 10% off your purchase from No Name Hockey, and you can have amazing new equipment all custom made to the specifications you choose at nonamehockey.co. Now, past that, Seat Giant. If you're looking to go to a concert, to a game, whatever you're looking for, go to seatgiant.ca, use the code unfiltered20 and save 35% off your purchasing fees for whatever ticket you buy from Seat Giant. Moving on to the Montreal Canadiens. Well, as we record, as I mentioned, it's Sunday the 8th. Saturday the 7th, the Canadiens played the St. Louis Blues and finally won a game. That was their first win after seven straight losses. And it's the first time they had a W since they beat uh, the Arizona Coyotes back on December 19th. That's a long, that's a long stretch without a win. Now the game itself, uh, a five four victory in regulation time over a St. Louis Blues team that 
is normally a very strong team. However, they're suffering through a lot of injury issues at the moment. Uh, they don't even have their top center in uh, Ryan O'Reilly. And we'll get into that a little bit more later in the show as it has an impact on the Canadians. Um, it was a weird game. I'm going to be honest. Watching that game was, it, it, it was odd. It was very, very odd. I mean, the way the Canadians play defense, yeah, I kind of figured. I kind of figured. Um, they hadn't been playing very well defensively in quite some time. Uh, it has a lot to do with the injuries they've suffered. Gooley is out. Um, Svart is back now. Now, their, uh, their defensive lineup looked like this. Edmondson and Savard were the top pairing. Harris and Kovacevic were the second pairing. And the third pairing, Jack Eye and Weidman. Now, there's some pretty good players in there. But none are really top pairing material. And the guys they were using on the top pair, Edmondson is better suited for a second pair. Savard despite the hard work he puts in and you can tell he works his tail off. He's more of a third pairing kind of guy, but such is a life. Now the Canadians went back to the Caulfield Suzuki dock top line. And that meant that uh, Slavkovsky joined Dvorak and Anderson on a second line to start the game. Uh, Dadanov, Evans, and Armia were on the third, and Drouin centered the fourth line with Pizzetta and Richard. All great. All great. The uh, Like I said, the, the team defense was a little shoddy. Uh, they gave up goals pretty quickly and fairly easily at times. Um, but the good news, Joel Armia showed up. The Joel Armia that we know. And love. Uh, he scored a goal in the game previous, and then he scored a goal in this one early on, making a two-game goal-scoring streak, meaning he had two goals on the season. Then he decided to go score a second goal tonight. Well, that night. A two-goal night for Armia, two assists for Dadanov, two assists for Evans. Um, uh, you know, uh, Doc got a nice goal on the power play. On the power play, there was a goal. And he, it wasn't a big slap shot from uh, the Ovechkin spot that Caulfield likes to go to. It was in the bumper position. A quick short pass by Suzuki. A masterful one at that. And Doc nailed that shot. Uh, Suzuki ended the night with two assists. Even Anderson scored a goal. It was offensively, the Canadians did a lot better than they have in recent games. Defensively, they were still, uh, there were still some problems. <laughs> they still had a hard time dealing with uh, St. Louis's size. Um, you know, that, that maybe that'll get things going. What I did like in that game was that um, St. Louis was still being, he was still making people accountable in the games. He he was providing more ice time to some of the veterans who were doing well. Uh, heck, even even uh, Drouin. Drouin almost scored that goal that uh, Anderson ended up being uh, awarded. 
it was Drew Ice play that made that happen. Anderson crashed that. And I can't blame Anderson for taking a swipe at the puck because it almost it was almost across the line. Um I mean, he's got a guy on him. There's a defender right there. You're better off taking the swipe, making sure it goes in. At least Drew got a point on the play. So good for him. Um yeah. you know, you'd like to see him you'd like to see him get uh, get the goal but unfortunately it just didn't happen um maybe this means that they're going to start to play a little bit better going forward maybe perhaps we can only hope uh they play the Kraken on uh, Monday night in Montreal so we will see how they do against them the Kraken are they're on a roll. They're only a second-year team, but they're looking like they're going to be out in the playoffs this year while the Canadians are sliding. And for those on Team Tank, they're pretty happy about that. And who can blame them? They're going to have a high draft pick. Possibly two with Florida. Rumor has it is going to be selling at the deadline. And if they do, that just improves the, the, uh, the chances that the draft pick for 2023 that belonged to Florida that now belongs to Montreal is going to be a little higher up in the draft standings. Which kind of brings me to this, the next point of the show, and that is development. The prospect development. Um, so the Canadians have refocused on the development this year. And that's that's good news for fans, especially it doesn't matter if you're team tank or not. The fact that the Canadians are putting individualized plans in place for the players as they develop is good news. Now, while I was at the world juniors, I took it upon myself to go talk to every single Montreal Canadians prospect that was participating. Um, and it's, it's clear that the Canadians are involved on a regular basis with a plan in place for each player. And each player has different points in their game that they're working on and how they're developing, how they're going to develop those points. Uh, they didn't get into really nitty gritty details, but it's clear that Adam Nicholas is making individualized plans and he's following up with the players. Uh, Lane Hudson, for instance, um, he he was confident. He was playing well. Um, in, uh, granted, they lost in the semifinal to the Canadian uh, to uh, Team Canada, and he was mentioning that while at Boston in, at college, uh, he was being followed up with uh, Adam Nicholas regularly, who was going over video with him and providing him information on his game, and that is a universal amongst all the prospects I spoke to, Joshua Roy. Uh, Owen Beck, all of them, anybody who was at that tournament who was a Montreal Canadiens prospect, all said the same thing, that they sat down, went over video, spoke with Adam Nicholas, not just over the phone or via Zoom, but in person, and went over specifics on their game, on what Nicholas was seeing in their game that they needed to work on, and how to do it. So, that is good news. That is not something that we saw in the previous administration of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, it was more of a cookie cutter approach. Uh, now it's uh, it's a little bit different. 
it's a little bit different. Now, I went into it a little bit more deeply uh, with Owen Beck's development uh, with the hockey writers um, and talked a little bit about how he is taking care, uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that he's provided this year from training camp to the call-up to Team Canada to now being traded to a possible Memorial Cup contending team in Peterborough. What I've been hearing from his coaches in with Team Canada, Steph Julian was praising him for his uh, his two-way game, his energy. Uh, Michael Oak, the GM for Peterborough, talked about his two-way game, his face-offs, his, his work ethic. And Owen Beck went, uh, he, he mentioned the certain aspects of his game that Adam Nicholas is looking at with him uh, is more to do with speed and uh, and timing. So he's, be- and this is me speaking, not, not Owen Beck, but it, it seems to me that he is trying to improve upon his small area play and the pace that he plays at because there's, in my opinion, a likelihood that he plays in the NHL next year. He he almost made the team out of camp this year. That's how he earned his ELC. Now, Slavkovsky. Everybody goes on and on about Slavkovsky and his development. Should have gone to World Juniors. He would have done this. He would have done that. Had he gone to the World Juniors, he would have been a dominant player. There's no doubt. Could they? Could Slovakia have beaten Canada in a quarterfinal? Possibly. Would they have even been against Canada in a quarterfinal? I doubt it. I would think with Slavkovsky in their lineup, Slovakia would have been a little bit higher up in the pool, and they probably wouldn't have met Canada until the semifinal. Then maybe. They might, they might have been able to beat Canada because at that age group, 20 and under, Slavkovsky is, he's a stud. But the issue with his game is not being able to play a dominant role at the World Juniors. He did that in the Olympics against grown men. That's not what the, he needs for his development. He needs to work on his cardiovascular. He, he's clearly winded quite heavily after every shift learning to play with more pace at an NHL pace. You're not going to learn that the world juniors and to keep his head up and avoid being rocked with massive hits. And he's had four massive hits already this season. Uh, He's been hit pretty heavily learning to keep your head up while playing at an NHL pace. Can't be taught in world juniors. Keeping with Montreal so that Adam Nicholas can work with him on a daily basis, great. That I'm all for that. Um, but I do have one issue. When he's playing fourth line minutes, that is not helping him. It's clear the way that it is now with the Canadians where they're at. This team is not making the playoffs. What they need is to play the kids more. Maybe they're doing this so they can showcase some of the veterans, and I'll get into the trade rumors here in a minute. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. 
But if they don't, if they're not willing to play Slavkovsky in a top six role with a lot of minutes, give him a little bit more exposure to that, then perhaps Slavkovsky or some of the other young rookies should go down to Laval and play heavy minutes in bigger roles. Because at the very least for Slavkovsky, he will be able to work on his cardio. He will be able to work on learning to keep his head up. Um, he won't be able to work on playing at NHL pace because the AHL is not quite there, but you guys get my my point. Um, I think the only reason why they haven't sent him down yet is because they want to make sure that they have enough people available to Laval if he goes there to also insulate him uh, because it's the AHL and people are going to want to make names for themselves. Who better than to, to make a name for yourself than to target the, the former first overall pick playing in your league, you go after him. So if he has a little bit of protection with the Laval rocket, I can see it happening. He can play power play, penalty kill, five on five, whatever they need. Um, I think the 40 game mark for him is where we're going to see the real, the real line. Uh, if he's on the NHL roster after 40 games, that's a, that will count as a year towards free agency. If he is not on the NHL roster by the time he hits for, after 40 games, 40 or more, then they don't lose that year out of his restricted free agency. Instead of being 27, he'll be 26 as a free agent. That's where things get a little interesting when it comes to Hughes and how he's going to manage Slavkovsky. It's it's more the long-term goals. So I would have no issues with him going to Laval. I, have, I don't imagine, I don't know if he's going to stay past 40 games, especially with the way the team is going. Um, and if he's not playing a lot of minutes, either they send him down or after his 40 games, he is put into a much larger role. So we'll see what happens. Moving on. I know this is a quick show, but it's a quick hits and it's it's just me talking. So no one wants to stick around too long just to listen to my cracky voice. That's still not quite 100% after uh, after singing too much karaoke over the, uh, the Christmas holidays. Uh, trade rumors. So... Edmondson is in the news. Monahan's in the news. Uh, people would love to make sh- to hear that Hoffman is on the move, or um, <laughs> or Dadanov or Drouin. But let's be honest, there's not a lot of interest in those guys. The main names are Edmondson and uh, Monahan. Now, Edmondson's an interesting case because he has a year left on his on his deal next season at three and a half mil per year. Um, we've joked on this show before that it's clearly he's going to Edmonton, yada, yada, yada. Whoever picks him up is going to be picking him up, not just for this year's playoff run, but next year's as well. So there's some value to that. And his contract's fairly affordable. He has a pedigree. He's got a Stanley Cup ring. He's made it to the final with the Canadians. And I don't know if his, uh, his difficulties this season are really going to deter any GMs from trying to pick him up because the Canadians have sucked this year. And 
GMs will look at that and say, well, he's done it in the past. He'll, he could do it again. That team kind of sucks. So he's being placed in, he, he is playing outside of his best suited role, you know, playing on a top pair or playing matchup against top opposition. That is not his game. He is more of a guy to play in this in the secondary positions in the secondary roles. That being said, um, because he has that second year, his value's still there. I mean, you look at what Hughes got for Schrott, a first and a prospect and another uh, a mid-round pick. It would not be out of the realm of possibility that he gets a first, a 2023 first for Edmondson. Now, you may be thinking, oh, 2023, no GM's going to want to give that up. Well, how many 2023 picks have already been traded? Four, five? thereabouts how many how many teams that are playing right now that you can look at and say that's a team that's probably going to go all in they have a they have a chance they can probably go all in three or four perhaps so there's three or four more teams um colorado i i say the rangers could possibly do it i mean they made the semifinals last year They've got a young team. They could use a little bit of help. I'm not saying Edmondson per se. Just saying that they would be willing to part with a first. Um, Pittsburgh. I mean, we got. Uh, I mean, we've been saying it for years now that their their window is closing. They don't have much left in the cupboard. Uh, they don't have much left coming up. Crosby and Malkin are getting older. Latang's getting older. I mean. God, Latang had a second stroke here this this year. He's already back, but he's had a second stroke. There's a team that could probably throw in and say, "Let's go for it." Washington. Oh, there's a team that could probably go for it. Everyone thought Washington was dead after all the injuries, but there they are, hanging in. So, three or four teams right there that would probably move a 2023 first. Out of those teams, what one, maybe two? would be looking at someone like Edmondson. So it is possible that Hughes can get that 2023 first he's looking for if he moves Edmondson. The other name that is likely going to get the most interest from the uh, from the Canadians is Monaghan. Now, he's been out injured, but since he's been out injured, the Canadians lineup has been in disarray. Their offense is way down. Their effectiveness is way down because he was he was the one that was kind of anchoring the depth for the Canadians. With him there, available on a second line, he could support Doc. Um, and if Doc was moved up to the top line, Monaghan would be able to play as the second line center. And he was doing well. I think it was 17 points in 20-some-odd games. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, he was hurt. He's going to come back. I mean, we've still got two months before the deadline, but when he comes back, there's other centers who would obviously go before him and were worth more than him. Well, let's look at that. Jonathan Taze, for instance, is one that would probably be worth more than him. But Taze has $10.5 million on his deal. Whatever team takes it, trades so if Chicago trades them they can only eat 50%. That is still almost 6 million dollars for a rental. 
with Monaghan, the Canadians eat 50% of that cap. You're looking at about three and a half million towards the team picking him up. Much more affordable. And is the impact between the two really $3 million more impact? No. No, I don't think Taze is that much better. Who else? Well, what about O'Reilly? O'Reilly's uh, a, a rental in the Blues who just lost to the Canadians. Well, they'll be selling. True. But O'Reilly's going to be out until after the trade deadline or just before. And while it's a foot injury and coming back from a foot injury is usually pretty quick, you know, once you're once you're healthy again, you get your feet back under you, no pun intended. It's not like it's a knee where you're going to have a hard time really get going again. Now it's just a foot. You just off, up and off you go. But with that, uh, with those guys out hurt or too expensive, a first for Monaghan when the Canadians eat 50% of the cap is starting to look pretty good, especially to teams like Colorado who could really use a second line center and have an issue with the cap. They can afford him. Maybe Montreal has to take back a contract. Maybe that's what they do. I mean, if for if somehow Hughes can turn Monaghan into another first-round pick, that'd be two first-round picks. One in 2024. The one he got from Calgary is any anywhere between 2024 and the year 3000. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of conditions to it. You can go check it out on Cap Friendly. Be my guest if you can read through that whole thing without falling asleep. Good on you. But if he pulls off another first out of him and a first out of Edmondson, that'd be four first-round picks. And that would be a very impressive trade deadline, which would, I think, beat the trade deadline that he had last year for his first one. And that one was pretty good. So it would go a long way in... uh, moving the needle for the Canadians rebuild. It might even make it quicker because if Florida does go and sell and their pick does drop even further and stays a top 10 pick for the Canadians, the Canadians are going to finish in the bottom 10. So they'll have two top 10 picks and then possibly two more picks later on in a very deep draft. They could end up with four very good hockey players one, maybe two high impact out of those four. And that's what the Canadians already have in their youth with their system, with Slavkovsky, with Jonathan, or Joshua Roy, with uh, Owen Beck, who like, these are guys who are, they're not, I'm not saying they're top line guys, but we're looking at guys who could possibly NHL, be NHL players and contribute. Uh, Yolonen, uh, the Habs defense with Gooley back, healthy Harris, um, Jack Eye, who's been a, a revelation. Baron, he's still got a ways to go, but he's, in my opinion, an NHL player. Um, they're, I think they're doing well. And there's still the rumor that Hughes is looking at goaltenders. Uh, Devin Levi is that name that they're going on about. Um, that's a possibility. I mean, People say, well, why would Buffalo want to trade him? Well, you look at Buffalo's goaltending prospects. They've got four or five that are legitimate NHL goaltending prospects. 
Levi being an NCAA player, he hasn't signed a deal yet. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Maybe he just decides to walk and sign with Montreal. With the guy, the GM of the team, who happens to be the father of one of his teammates, who he has known for many, many years from camps and whatnot. So it's a possibility. If he can pull that off and he can pull off three or four first round picks in this coming draft, well then, how much longer would the rebuild last? I don't think it would last much longer. Maybe one more year. And then we're looking at a team that's going to be looking for veterans to surround all these young, talented players with and possibly even a playoff appearance in the next two years, maybe three. Anyhow, wishful thinking, all kinds of great stuff. I want you to just go and check out the work that Treg and I have done for the hockey writers covering the World Juniors. There's a ton of stuff on prospects. We're going to have a bunch more stuff coming out soon on the Habs prospects. Um, support Matt. You know, give him a follow on on Twitter if you haven't already. Instagram, you can find us all on Instagram. YouTube, all of it. Um, I just want to thank everybody for supporting us for this long, for this many years. I apologize it's a solo show. Uh, I wish it wasn't, but such is life. Uh, we felt that even though they couldn't be it, be here, that I should have to do something. Uh, I would prefer if it was Matt or Treg doing the solo show, but here I am. Uh, so I want to thank you guys for sticking through this, putting up with me, uh, and listening. Just keep interacting with us. Uh, send us those questions. Send us those comments. Uh, send any uh, send emails to habsunfiltered.outlook.com, and we will try and answer them as quick as we can. So, again, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for interacting. And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.